0: Section 16 of Complete Original Short Stories of Guy de Maupassant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tatiana Chichella, Columbus, Ohio. Section 16. Epiphany. "'I should say I did remember that Epiphany suffered during the war,' exclaimed Count de Guerins, an army captain. "'I was quartermaster of cavalry at the time, and for a fortnight had been scouting in front of the German advance guard. The evening before, we had cut down a few ulens and lost three men.' one of whom was that poor little Rodeville. You remember Joseph de Rodeville, of course. Well, on that day, my commanding officer ordered me to take six troopers and to go and occupy the village of Porterin, where there had been five skirmishes in three weeks, and to hold it all night. There were not twenty houses left standing, not a dozen houses in that wasp's nest. So I took ten troopers and set out about four o'clock, and at five o'clock, while it was still pitch dark, we reached the first houses of Porterin i halted and ordered marchat you know pierre de marchat who afterward married little martel auvelin the daughter of the marquis de martel auvelin to go alone into the village and to report to me what he saw i had selected nothing but volunteers all men of good family it is pleasant when on duty not to be forced to be on intimate terms with unpleasant fellows this marchat was as smart as possible cunning as a fox and supple as a serpent he could scent the prussians as a dog can scent a hare and could discover food where we should have died of hunger without him and obtained information from everybody, and information which was always reliable with incredible cleverness. In ten minutes he returned. All right, he said, there have been no Prussians here for three days. It is a sinister place, this village. I have been talking to a sister of Mercy, who is caring for four or five wounded men in an abandoned convent. I ordered them to ride on, and we entered the principal street. On the right and left we could vaguely see roofless walls, which were hardly visible in the profound darkness. Here and there a light was burning in a room, "'Some family had remained to keep its house standing as well as they were able, "'a family of brave or of poor people. "'The rain began to fall, a fine, icy cold rain, which froze as it fell on our cloaks. "'The horses stumbled against stones, against beams, against furniture. "'Marshaw guided us, going before us on foot and leading his horse by the bridle. "'Where are you taking us to?' I asked him. "'And he replied, I have a place for us to lodge in, and a rare good one. "'And we presently stopped before a small house, "'evidently belonging to some proprietor of the middle class.' It stood on the street, was quite enclosed, and had a garden in the rear. Marsha forced open the lock by means of a big stone which he picked up near the garden gate. Then he mounted the steps, smashed in the front door with his feet and shoulders, lit a bit of wax candle, which he was never without, and went before us into the comfortable apartments of some rich private individual, guiding us with admirable assurance, as if he lived in this house which he now saw for the first time. Two troopers remained outside to take care of our horses, and Marshaw said to stout Ponderel, who followed him, "'The stables must be on the left. "'I saw that as we came in. "'Go and put the animals up there, for we do not need them.' "'And then, turning to me, he said, "'Give your orders, confound it all.' "'This fellow always astonished me, and I replied with a laugh. "'I will post my sentinels at the country approaches "'and will return to you here. "'How many men are you going to take?' Five. "'The others will relieve them at five o'clock in the evening.' "'Very well. "'Leave me four to look after provisions, "'to do the cooking, and to set the table. "'I will go and find out where the wine is hidden.' I went off, to reconnoitre the deserted streets until they ended in the open country, so as to post my sentries there. Half an hour later I was back, and found Marshal lounging in a great easy chair, the covering of which he had taken off, from love of luxury, as he said. He was warming his feet at the fire and smoking an excellent cigar, whose perfume filled the room. He was alone, his elbows resting on the arms of the chair, his head sunk between his shoulders, his cheeks flushed, his eyes bright, and looking delighted. I heard the noise of plates and dishes in the next room, and Marsha said to me, smiling in a contented manner, this is famous. I found the champagne under the flight of steps outside, the brandy, fifty bottles of the very finest in the kitchen garden under a pear tree, which did not seem to me to be quite straight when I looked at it by the light of my lantern. As for solids, we have two fowls, a goose, a duck, and three pigeons. They are being cooked at this moment. It is a delightful district. I sat down opposite him, and the fire in the grate was burning my nose and cheeks. "'Where did you find this wood?' I asked. "'Splendid wood,' he replied. "'The owner's carriage. "'It is the paint which is causing all this flame, "'an essence of punch and varnish, a capital house.' "'I laughed, for I saw the creature was funny, and he went on. "'Fancy this being the epiphany. "'I have had a bean put into the goose dressing, "'but there is no queen. "'It is really very annoying.' "'And I repeated like an echo. "'It is annoying, but what do you want me to do in the matter?' "'To find some, of course. "'Some women.' "'Women? "'You must be mad.' I managed to find the brandy under the pear tree and the champagne under the steps, and yet there was nothing to guide me. Well, as for you, a petticoat is sure bait. Go and look, old fellow. He looked so grave, so convinced, that I could not tell whether he was joking or not, and so I replied, Look here, marshal are you having a joke with me? I never joke on duty. But where the devil do you expect me to find any women? Where you like, there must be two or three remaining in the neighborhood, so ferret them out and bring them here. I got up, for it was too hot in front of the fire, and marshal went off do you want an idea yes go and see the priest the priest what for ask him to supper and beg him to bring a woman with him the priest a woman (laughs) ha 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 but marshall continued with extraordinary gravity i am not laughing go and find the priest and tell him how we are situated and as he must be horribly dull he'll come but tell him that we want one woman at least a lady of course since we are all men of the world "'He is sure to know his female parishioners on the tips of his fingers, "'and if there is one to suit us and you manage it well, "'he will suggest her to you.' "'Come, come, Marshaw, what are you thinking of?' "'My dear Garens, you can do this quite well. "'It will even be very funny. "'We are well-bred by Jove, "'and we will put on our most distinguished manners and our grandest style. "'Tell the Abbe who we are, make him laugh, "'soften his heart, coax him, and persuade him.' "'No, it is impossible.' "'He drew his chair close to mine, "'and as he knew my special weakness,' The scamp continued. "'Just think what a swaggering thing it will be to do "'and how amusing to tell about. "'The whole army will talk about it, "'and it will give you a famous reputation.' "'I hesitated, for the adventure rather tempted me, "'and he persisted. "'Come, my little Garins. "'You're the head of this detachment, "'and you alone can go and call on the head of the church "'in this neighborhood. "'I beg of you to go, "'and I promise you that after the war "'I will relate the whole affair in verse "'to the Revue de Deux monde. "'You owe this much to your men, "'for you have made them march enough during the last month.' I got up at last and asked, "'Where's the priest's house?' "'Take the second turning at the end of the street, you will see an avenue, and at the end of the avenue you will find the church. The parsonage is beside it.' As I went out, he called out, "'Tell him the bill of fare to make him hungry.' I discovered the Ecclesiastics' little house without any difficulty. It was by the side of a large, ugly brick church. I knocked at the door with my fist, as there was neither bell nor knocker, and a loud voice from inside asked, "'Who's there?' to which I replied, a quartermaster of hussars. I heard the noise of bolts and of a key being turned, and found myself face to face with a tall priest with a large stomach, the chest of a prize fighter, formidable hands projecting from turned up sleeves, a red face, and the look of a kind man. I gave him a military salute, and said, good day, Monsieur Cure." He had feared a surprise, some marauder's ambush, and he smiled as he replied, good day, my friend, come in. I followed him into a small room with a red-tiled floor in which a small fire was burning, very different to Marchand's furnace, and he gave me a chair and said, What can I do for you? Monsieur, allow me first of all to introduce myself, and I gave him my card, which he took and read half-aloud, Le Comte de Guerins. I continued, There are eleven of us here, Monsieur l'abbé, five on picket duty and six installed at the house of an unknown inhabitant. The names of the six are Guerens, myself, Pierre de Marchand, Ludovic de Ponderel, Baron d'Estrellis, carl massoulini the painter's son and joseph Erbon a young musician i have come to ask you in their name and my own to do us the honour of supping with us it is an epiphany supper monsieur le cure and we should like to make it a little cheerful the priest smiled and murmured it seems to me to be hardly a suitable occasion for amusing oneself and i replied we're fighting during the day monsieur fourteen of our comrades have been killed in a month and three fell as late as yesterday it is war-time we stake our life at every moment "'Have we not, therefore, the right to amuse ourselves freely? "'We're Frenchmen. "'We like to laugh, and we can laugh everywhere. "'Our fathers laughed on the scaffold. "'This evening we should like to cheer ourselves up a little, "'like gentlemen, and not like soldiers. "'You understand me, I hope. "'Are we wrong?' "'He replied quickly, "'You are quite right, my friend, "'and I accept your invitation with great pleasure.' "'Then he called out, "'Hermance!' "'An old, bent, wrinkled, horrible peasant woman appeared and said, "'What do you want?' "'I shall not dine at home, my daughter.' "'Where are you going to dine, then?' "'With some gentlemen, the Hussars.' "'I felt inclined to say, "'Bring your servant with you,' "'just to see Marsha's face.' "'But I did not venture, and continued, "'Do you know of any one among your parishioners, "'male or female, whom I could invite as well?' "'He hesitated, reflected, and then said, "'No, I do not know anybody.' "'I persisted. "'Nobody? Come, monsieur, think. "'It would be very nice to have some ladies, "'I mean to say some married couples. "'I know nothing about your parishioners.' The baker and his wife, the grocer, the, the, the watchmaker, the shoemaker, the druggist with Mrs. Druggist. We have a good spread and plenty of wine, and we should be enchanted to leave pleasant recollections of ourselves with the people here. The priest thought again for a long time, and then said resolutely, no, there is nobody. I began to laugh. By Jove, Monsieur Cure, it is very annoying not to have an epiphany queen, for we have the bean. Come, think. Is there not a married mayor, or a married deputy mayor, or a married municipal councillor, or a schoolmaster? No, all the ladies have gone away. What, is there not in the whole place some good tradesman's wife with her good tradesman, to whom we might give this pleasure? For it would be a pleasure to them, a great pleasure under current circumstances. But suddenly, Lakir began to laugh, and laughed so violently that he fairly shook, and presently exclaimed, Ha ha ha, I have got what you want, yes. I have got what you want. We will laugh and enjoy ourselves, my children. We will have some fun. How pleased the ladies will be, I say, how delighted they will be. Ha ha. Where are you staying? I described the house, and he understood where it was. Very good, he said. It belongs to Monsieur Berton Levaille. I will be there in half an hour with four ladies. Ha ha ha, four ladies. He went out with me, still laughing, and left me repeating, That is capital, in half an hour at Berton Levaille's house. I returned quickly, very much astonished and very much puzzled. "'Covers for how many?' Marsha asked as soon as he saw me. Eleven. There are six of us hussars, plus the priest, and four ladies.' He was thunderstruck, and I was triumphant. He repeated, "'Four ladies? Did you say four ladies?' I said four women. "'Real women? Real women. Well, accept my compliments.' I will, for I deserve them." He got out of his armchair, opened the door, and I saw a beautiful white tablecloth on a long table. "'round which three hussars in blue aprons were setting out the plates and glasses. "'There are some women coming!' Marsha cried, "'and the three men began to dance and cheer with all their might. "'Everything was ready, and we were waiting. "'We waited for nearly an hour, "'while a delicious smell of roast poultry pervaded the whole house. "'At last, however, a knock against the shutters made us all jump up at the same moment. "'Stout Ponderel ran to open the door, "'and in less than a minute a little Sister of Mercy appeared in the doorway.' She was thin, wrinkled, and timid, and successively greeted the four bewildered hussars who saw her enter. Behind her, the noise of sticks sounded on the tiled floor in the vestibule, and as soon as she had come into the drawing room, I saw three old heads in white caps, following each other one by one, who came in, swaying with different movements, one inclining to the right while the other inclined to the left. And three worthy women appeared, limping, dragging their legs behind them, crippled by illness and deformed through old age. Three infirm old women, past service, "'the only three pensioners who were able to walk "'in the home presided over by Sister St. Benedict. "'She had turned round to her invalids, "'full of anxiety for them, "'and then, seeing my quartermaster's stripes, "'she said to me, "'I am much obliged to you for thinking of these poor women. "'They have very little pleasure in life, "'and you are at the same time giving them a great treat "'and doing them a great honor. "'I saw the priest who had remained in the dark hallway "'and was laughing heartily, "'and I began to laugh in my turn, "'especially when I saw Marsha's face.' Then, motioning the nun to the seats, I said, "'Sit down, sister. We are very proud and very happy that you have accepted our unpretentious invitation.' She took three chairs which stood against the wall, set them before the fire, led her three old women to them, settled them on them, took their sticks and shawls, which she put into a corner, and then, pointing to the first, a thin woman with an enormous stomach who was evidently suffering from the dropsy, she said, "'This is Mother Pommel, whose husband was killed by falling from a roof and whose son died in Africa. She is sixty years old.' Then she pointed to another, a tall woman, whose head trembled unceasingly. This is Mother Jean-Jean, who is sixty-seven. She is nearly blind, for her face was terribly singed in a fire, and her right leg was half-burned off. Then she pointed to the third, a sort of dwarf with protruding, round, stupid eyes, which she rolled incessantly in all directions. This is La Poutois, an idiot. She is only forty-four. I bowed to the three women, as if I were being presented to some royal highnesses, and turning to the priest, I said... You are an excellent man, Monsieur l'abbé, to whom all of us here owe a debt of gratitude. Everybody was laughing, in fact, except Marchand, who seemed furious. Just then, Carl Massouigny cried, Sister Saint-Benedict, supper is on the table. I made her go first with the priest, then I helped up Mother Pommel, whose arm I took and dragged her into the next room, which was no easy task, for she seemed heavier than a lump of iron. Stout Ponderel gave his arm to Mother Jean-Jean who bemoaned her crutch, and little Joseph Urban took the idiot, La Poutois, to the dining room, which was filled with the odor of the viands. As soon as we were opposite our plates, the sister clapped her hands three times, and, with the precision of soldiers presenting arms, the women made a rapid sign of the cross, and then the priest slowly repeated the benedictus in Latin. Then we sat down, and the two fowls appeared, brought in by marchat who chose to wait at table rather than sit down as a guest to this ridiculous repast. But I cried, bring the champagne at once, and a cork flew out with the noise of a pistol, and in spite of the resistance of the priest and the kind sister, the three hussars, sitting by the side of the three invalids, emptied their three full glasses down their throats by force. Massoligny, who possessed the faculty of making himself at home and of being on good terms with everyone, wherever he was, made love to Mother Pommel in the drollest manner. The dropsical woman, who had retained her cheerfulness in spite of her misfortunes, answered him banteringly in a high falsetto voice, which appeared as if it were put on, and she laughed so heartily at her neighbor's jokes that it was quite alarming. Little Erban had seriously undertaken the task of making the idiot drunk, and Baron Destrellis, whose wits were not always particularly sharp, was questioning old Jean-Jean about the life, the habits, and the rules of the hospital. The nun said to Massoligny in consternation, "'Oh, oh, you'll make her ill. Pray do not make her laugh like that, monsieur.' "'Oh, monsieur!' "'Then she got up and rushed at Erbon to take from him a full glass, "'which he was hastily emptying down La Pouchois's throat, "'while the priest shook with laughter and said to the sister, "'Never mind, just this once. It will not hurt them. Leave them alone.' "'After the two fowls, they ate the duck, "'which was flanked by the three pigeons and the blackbird, "'and then the goose appeared, smoking golden brown "'and diffusing a warm odor of hot brown roast meat. "'La Pomelle, who was getting lively, clapped her hands.' Lady Jean-Jean left off answering the baron's numerous questions, and La Poutoie uttered grunts of pleasure, half cries and half sighs, as little children do when one shows them candy. "'Allow me to take charge of this animal,' Cure said. "'I understand these operations better than most people.' "'Certainly, Monsieur Labbé,' said the sister. "'How would it be to open the window a little? They are too warm, and I am afraid they will be ill.' "'I turned to Marchat, Open the window for a minute.' He did so. The cold outer air as it came in made the candles flare, and the steam from the goose, which Liqueur was scientifically carving, with a table napkin round his neck, whirl about. We watched him doing it, without speaking now, for we were interested in his attractive handiwork, and seized with renewed appetite at the sight of that enormous golden-brown bird, whose limbs fell one after another into the brown gravy at the bottom of the dish. At that moment, in the midst of that greedy silence which kept us all attentive, the distant report of a shot came in at the open window." i started to my feet so quickly that my chair fell down behind me and i shouted to saddle all of you you marshal take two men and go see what it is i shall expect you back here in five minutes and while the three riders went off at full gallop through the night i got into the saddle with my remaining three hussars in front of the steps of the villa while cure, the sister and the three old women showed their frightened faces at the window we heard nothing more except the barking of a dog in the distance the rain had ceased and it was cold very cold and soon I heard the gallop of a horse, of a single horse, coming back. It was Marchat, and I called out to him, "'Well?' "'It is nothing. Francois has wounded an old peasant who refused to answer his challenge, who goes there, and who continued to advance in spite of the order to keep off, but they are bringing him here, and we shall see what is the matter.' I gave orders for the horses to be put back in the stable, and I sent my two soldiers to meet the others, and returned to the house.' Then liqueur Marsha, and I took a mattress into the room to lay the wounded man on the sister tore up a table napkin in order to make lint while the three frightened women remained huddled up in a corner. Soon, I heard the rattle of sabres on the road, and I took a candle to show a light to the men who were returning and they soon appeared, carrying that inert, soft, long, sinister object which a human body becomes when life no longer sustains it. They put the wounded man on the mattress that had been prepared for him, and I saw at the first glance that he was dying. He had the death rattle and was spitting up blood, which ran out of the corners of his mouth at every gasp. The man was covered with blood. His cheeks, his beard, his hair, his neck, and his clothes seemed to have been soaked, to have been dipped in a red tub, and that blood stuck to him and had become a dull color which was horrible to look at. The wounded man, wrapped up in a large shepherd's cloak, occasionally opened his dull, vacant eyes, which seemed stupid with astonishment, like those of animals wounded by a sportsman which fall at his feet, more than half dead already stupefied with terror and surprise, le cure exclaimed, "Ah, it is old Placide, the shepherd from les Moulins. He is deaf, poor man, and heard nothing. Ah, oh God, they have killed the unhappy man. The sister had opened his blouse and shirt and was looking at the little blue hole in his chest, which was not bleeding any more. There is nothing to be done, she said. The shepherd was gasping terribly and bringing up blood with every last breath and in his throat to the very depth of his lungs they could hear an ominous and continued gurgling le cure standing in front of him raised his right hand made the sign of the cross and in a slow and solemn voice pronounced the latin words which purify men's souls but before they were finished the old man's body trembled violently as if something had given way inside him and he ceased to breathe he was dead when i turned round i saw a sight which was even more horrible than the death struggle of this unfortunate man the three old women were standing up huddled close together, hideous, grimacing with fear and horror. I went up to them, and they began to utter shrill screams, while le jean-jean, whose burned leg could no longer support her, fell to the ground at full length. Sister St. Benedict left the dead man, ran up to her infirm old women, and without a word or a look for me, wrapped their shawls round them, gave them their crutches, pushed them to the door, made them go out, and disappeared with them into the dark night. I saw that I could not even let a hussar accompany them, for the mere rattle of a sword would have sent them mad with fear. Likir was still looking at the dead man, but at last he turned round to me and said, Oh, what a horrible thing. End of section 16. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio.